and say good morning, church. <clears throat> good to see you this morning. I want to make you aware of just a couple of things before we get going. Uh, and one is just really basically a thank you to you. The board uh, met on Tuesday and we allocated some uh, money to, uh, for some renovations uh, with our video projection. And uh, you may not know it because you really don't have anything to compare it against. But those, those uh, bulbs were way back in Brandon Hancock's time, and so they've gotten a good, good, dull, good bit dull. And so we made some uh, decisions on Tuesday night to enhance our video projection, as well as made some provisions to enhance our children's ministries. Um, we have a children's auditorium, and then beneath that we have what we call a great room, but that's going to kind of be uh, children's auditorium number two, uh, for some smaller kids. And so uh, thank you that we can make some expenditures because you are faithful in your giving and we are careful about what we spend. So you can tell in the next couple of months you'll be seeing those uh, new additions be able to come. Also, I'd like to remind some of you here who are not members of our church that we will be having membership class on Wednesday night. And it's going to be right up here uh, as uh, in the room right on top as you come in these doors and we'll meet from 6 30 to about eight o'clock we call it a membership and information class maybe you don't want to become a member of our church and that's absolutely okay but you want to know you want to have some information about us and who we are and so uh, this class serves as both an information about who we are as a church of the nazarene uh, who we are as an individual Xenia Nazarene Church, and also what it means to be a member of a church. And so this class is a prerequisite for joining our church and becoming a member. If you are a member, you can uh, vote in the elections that we have, and we have one coming up here in just a few weeks as we elect our leaders of our church for the next year. So that may be of interest to some of you and may not, but that's Wednesday night at 6.30, okay? We are entering a new sermon series, as you see, behind me here uh, titled that it's all in my head it's all in your head it's all in our heads and the Christian life is all in our heads at least that's what the Bible says the Christian life is not all in our behavior the Christian life over and over again God's Word says is all in our heads now the tagline for the sermon series you can see is Romans 12 2 if you've been in the church a long time you'll know what that verse is it's an important verse but let's read Romans 12, 1 and 2 as we launch into this, please. Therefore, and when you see a therefore, you've got to ask, why is that therefore, therefore? And that's, and a therefore is therefore because you've had 11 chapters of the book of Romans, which have been nothing but pretty serious doctrine, pretty serious theology. And now we start with chapter 12 and go all the way to the end in chapter 16 and when we get behavioral stuff. So it's like Paul is saying, this is true, therefore, live this way. And whenever you see a therefore, it's basically always because this is true, therefore, this is true. And so Paul has, given, has waited deeper in theological waters than he's waited in any other of his writings. Romans 1 through 11 is the deepest theological verses we have in all of God's word. And therefore, because of what you put in your head, theology has to be in, processed in our mind, because of what you put in your heads, therefore, Paul's going to say, let it work out in your life. 
See, it's all in our heads. And, and it's a cart before the horse thing. Our behavior is obviously important. Uh, you, you cannot read this Bible without coming out of the uh, unbelievable importance on uh, behavior. There is so much more in this Bible about how you behave as you're a Christian than it talks about how to become a Christian. And, and there's just, it's, it's full of now that you are a Christian, this is how you are to behave. But the truth of that behavior is that that behavior all starts in your head. The behavior is not just stands on its own and I behave this way. No, I behave this way because I think this way. You may say one thing and I may say one thing that I believe this, but the proof of that pudding shows up in my behavior. If I say I believe this, but my behavior is completely opposite of that, then I'm lying. Then I'm lying because what I believe will show up in my life, okay? And so just that word therefore tells you it's all about your head because we've got 11 chapters of deep, deep theology. Therefore, because of this deep stuff that you've got to get in your mind, walk worthy, behave this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. That's a behavioral thing. It's a behavioral thing. Offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper act of worship. We, what we do in here on Sunday morning when we come in and worship and there's music being played, that is certainly a part of worship. But the true and proper worship is our behavior during the week. The true and proper worship that it shows worship to God is behavior. So I can come in here and I can raise my hands and I can jump and act all kinds of, of ways. But if I don't walk that way, it negates everything that was done in here on Sunday morning. Because my true and proper act of worship is in the life that I live. So I offer myself, Paul says. So I offer myself in view of God's mercy as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. It's an Old Testament reference, obviously, it's sacrifice lambs. That was not a living sacrifice after that lamb was, was killed. But we are a living sacrifice, and that's our true and proper worship. Now, verse 2 is a verse that we know, at least if you've been around the church. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Wow, there's a lot of preaching that can be done right there. We, we preachers, we say to one another, they'll, we'll say something, that'll preach, that'll preach. That'll preach. Well, this will preach. And I don't have time to go there today. But Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. As Christians, we're nonconformists. We're nonconformists. There's tremendous pressure to conform. There's tremendous pressure to conform. We live daily with pressure the world puts on us to conform. Think like them. Do like them. We're bombarded with that all week. But as Christians, but as Christians, Paul says, you're non-conformist. Which means we won't be liked real well. If, if you're a person that needs to be liked, that's hard. That's really, really hard. There'll be people that won't understand you. There'll be people that will scratch their head and look at you and say, well, 
that's really weird and why is he that way and so forth and so on and we don't try to be ugly and we don't try to try to stand out and and be ugly in that way but just by living of our life and believing what we believe we are non-conformist that puts pressure in your families because your families all don't think alike right neither does mine wouldn't it be easy if we could all just be conformist and keep our mouth shut and Go, along, go on with the flow. It would, it, would, it would make Thanksgiving a lot nicer, wouldn't it? Do not conform any longer to the way the world thinks and the way it's, the world is constantly teaching us to think a certain way, constantly. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Transformed. The Greek word is where we get the word metamorphosis. Where be transformed. And how are you trans? Wouldn't it be cool if when, when we get baptized, if the preacher would just come, or when we get saved, if the preacher would just come and take his holy two by four and smack us up outside of the head and we are voila, transformed. Think how much easier that would be. But we are renewed by the, we are transformed, excuse me, by the renewal of our minds, by the way we think. By the way we think. And that renewal is not a one-time thing. That renewal is something that happens till the day you die. There is no microwave Christianity There is no maturing of the faith that happens all of a sudden. That happens real quick. There's no quick six-week program that you can be able to take. It's day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, walking with the Lord and changing the way you think. And the change in the way you think is what you've heard preachers say forever, and you've heard me say it. It's a process of taking out the stinking thinking and put in godly thinking. That's, that's the process of maturing. It's the process of changing the way I think. It's renewing my mind. Then, once my mind is renewed, I'll know what God's will is. I'll, I'll understand what God's will is. Because my mind has been changed, and I, I start to think like him. Then I'll be able to know what God's will is, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. <laughs> Uh, friends, you can't get away from the truth that when our thoughts change, our lives will change. When our thoughts change, our lives will change. That's just what Apostle Paul has said. You'll be transformed by the renewing of the mind. You'll be changed when your mind changes. Now, we all know that. Now, we all know that. Because we all are very patient with our teenagers because their minds haven't changed yet. Right? They haven't grown up. They haven't matured. And when they grow up and they mature and all of a sudden they're 25 and 30, wow, how they've changed. And that change is not just because they've grown up physically. It's because they've changed the way they think, right? How stupid we were when we were 15, right? Think about the stuff we did and we thought when we were 15. Just think about that. And Sue gets upset with our boys every now and then. And I said, well, they're brain damaged. I mean, 
Their brains have not grown up. Uh, Depending on who you want to read from, it's in their mid-20s to your brain fully develops. It's, it's, it's It's not a real riddle why young people do some weird things and older people of course do too but their mind still has a lot of growing up to do it's part of the way it is and when they grow up it's like you know it's like the old saying you know you know my kids went off to college and thought I was a real nut and when they came back four years later they couldn't believe how much the old man had learned you know but that's because they grew up and they start to think differently they they change they mature they mature as their brains mature. And the same thing is true in the Christian life. As we grow up in the Lord, as we grow up in the Lord, as we're renewed in our mind, Rick Warren used to pastor out in California, and Rick Warren said, Change happens in your cerebellum, not in your circumstances. I wonder how many people got divorced and thought that their life would be better because of the circumstantial change and they realized that they didn't the same problems into the next marriage or into the first marriage the the change happens here how many pastors have left churches it'll be better at another church and it wasn't any better at another church because the problem was here problem was here I'm trying to tell you through however many weeks we hang out here that it's all in our heads and that's talked of in so many places Martin Luther is a little Catholic monk who protested against the Roman Catholic Church and because he protested against the Roman Catholic Church we now today are Protestants and every, every church that is not a Roman Catholic church is considered Protestant because it goes back to the Martin Luther's protest. And so Martin Luther was, wrote a lot and spoke a lot, and I just pulled out one quote from Martin Luther. And Luther said this, When Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. Now, why, what has that got to do with what you're talking about here, Mark? That just seems like you've changed directions completely. No, the word repentance literally means, in the original language, literally means to change your mind. That's what it means. Well, I thought repentance meant to come and, and um, cry at the altar. Well, that could be part of repentance. But repentance literally means to change the way you think. Now, we all know the importance of of repentance in our lives. You can't become a Christian until you repent. You repent of your own lordship and, and, and claim Jesus as Lord and all that that would mean in your life. Our major problem with all of us, the, the human condition problem, is that we want to be Lord of our own life. And Jesus came, uh, Paul came along in Romans 10, 9 and says, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I can't confess Jesus as Lord unless I repent of my own lordship, who I've been wanting my own lordship since I came out of my mother's womb. Since I could cry mine, and I've been wanting 
to be Lord of my own life. And so I don't see how one can become a Christian without repentance, and that means to change the way you think, to change the way you think about your past life, to change the way you thought about your sins, to change the way you thought about who Jesus was, to change the way you thought about, because most people think, well, I can be good enough to be saved. I just got to go to church a little more and all that. And all that, you got to change all that. And you got to realize that Jesus is the hub of this. Jesus is, is, is the center of all this. And Jesus died for you. I cannot do enough good works. I've got to repent of that kind of thinking, change my mind of that kind of thinking and claim Jesus as Lord and all that that means. And all that that means. It's about the head. I'm just trying to tell you. It's all about your mind. Apostle Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. This amazing verse. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. Well, I never was an enemy in your Well, you certainly were. Once, Paul's speaking to Christians here now. He's Paul's speaking to Christians. Once, yeah, there were degrees of alienation. But once, you were alienated. And wouldn't it be interesting, you know, that it doesn't say once you were alienated because of your evil behavior. It doesn't say that. You were alienated in your minds and that prompted your evil behavior. I'm trying to tell you it's all in your head. It's all in my head. It's all in our heads. I'm trying to tell you that beliefs determine behavior. That our beliefs determine our behavior. It's not the other way around. I'm not minimizing the importance of behavior because you can't read this Bible and not see that much of it is behavioral. But the behavior, it's a cart before the horse thing, the behavior stems from the renewal of our mind. The Christian behavior stems from the renewal of our minds. Because our minds have been conformed to the pattern of this world, our minds need to be renewed. And our beliefs determine our behavior. If I say I believe something and it doesn't show up in my behavior, you say you're a liar, Mark. Because what I truly believe will always show up in my behavior. Will always show up in my behavior. And that's what James says all through chapter 2 of James. James says, you know, you have faith. That's a head thing. I have faith. I have trust. It's a mind thing. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting in God. You have faith. But if it's not accompanied by action, it's a dead faith. So you have beliefs, and if it's not accompanied by behavior, it's a dead thing. You, yeah, you got beliefs, but it must be prompted, it must prompt behavior in your life. So James is all fired up in chapter 2 about people that say, I think this way, but they don't act this way. And James is all fired up about that and spends most of chapter 2 talking about that. Yeah, I believe this way. And if you really believe this way, James says, then you act this way. Because if you believe this way, say you believe this way, don't act this way, this is dead. Is what James says. Is what James says. It's on your head. 
It's all in my head. It's all in our heads. I've quoted this verse to you many, many times, but I've never really seen this till a couple weeks ago in the verse. That's how alive scripture is. You've all heard me quote or, or read 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's a crucial verse. All scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed is a fine translation. Some, some translations say inspired. And, and what that means is when James wrote James and Matthew wrote Matthew, that God led them along and God inspired their writing. I don't think it means that that God disengaged James's brain and, and, and just kind of put, made James a robot and so James was doing this because the, 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 all the, the works are different and the personalities of the writers come through. But all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in right living. Now what, what is scripture? Scripture's a mind thing. Scripture is, is, is getting truth into your head. And once that truth gets into your head, this God-breathed truth, once that gets into your head, it's useful then for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in right living. And those are behavioral. Those are behavioral. And verse 13, 17 says, So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's the purpose of Scripture? It's to thoroughly equip you for every good work. What's the purpose of, purpose of Scripture? To teach you. What's the purpose of Scripture? To rebuke you, to correct you, to train you. What's the purpose of getting truth into your mind? It's so that you would live right. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. And the world tries to teach us to conform. The world tries to teach us to, to believe what the world teaches us. And so we conform. We conform. We, we run our business and we don't want to alienate the world, so we conform. Preachers want to keep people in their church and don't want to make people mad, so they conform. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this word. Take this uh, word that is opposite of the world and use it for teaching and rebuking and correcting every good work. That's the NIV translation. I'm fast becoming a fan of the New Living Translation. And it says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do behavior what is right God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the most famous of all of Jesus' teachings. And the Sermon on the Mount seems to be behavioral. But once you look at the Sermon on the Mount and really look at it, you see the Sermon on the Mount is certainly behavioral. It's certainly behavioral. But it flows from changing the way you think. It flows from changing the way you think. Not denying it at all that it's behavioral. So, so uh, Jesus came along in Matthew chapter 5 and says, you know, you've, you know, the world really doesn't say that 
the poor in spirit are blessed. But I'm telling you, you need to think this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The world certainly doesn't teach you that the meek will be blessed. But what I teach you is, blessed are the meek. The world still doesn't teach us that the meek will be blessed. But Jesus came along and said, you cannot buy what the world is teaching. Blessed are the meek. Whoever heard anything weird is blessed are the, those who mourn. No one ever thought that way. No one ever had that thought that you're a blessed person when you mourn. Jesus came along and said, no, you know, this is a new way of thinking. Blessed are those who mourn. Everybody knew probably that there was one of the commandments that you shouldn't kill somebody, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, well, you know, it's a whole lot, of more, it's a whole lot more than just pulling the trigger. You know, it's a whole lot more than just taking someone and hitting them over the head with a baseball. It's a whole lot more than that. Jesus said it starts in your hearts and in your minds. Jesus said it starts in your heart. Murder starts in your heart and starts in your minds. You've, you've, al you've always thought about murder as don't doing the act, and that's part of it. But Jesus says, no, it starts in your hearts and it starts in your mind. She says, adultery starts in your heart and starts in your mind. Adultery does not start in the hotel room. You know that. It does not start in the hotel room. Adultery started way long time ago when there was a thought that ran away that I wouldn't grab a hold of. That's where adultery started. And Jesus says, adultery is not in the act. <clears throat> adultery is in the heart and the mind way long time ago before the act ever started. Same with premarital sex. Premarital sex started when you didn't protect yourself and, did, and put yourself in a position that you were going to be tempted and got alone with the person in such a way that that temptation was really easy to, to happen. Started in thinking about how we can get alone and where we can go here. It didn't start with the act. Started in your hearts and started in your mind. All through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've, you've heard it said, but now I say to you. And, and, and what Jesus says to us, it is much deeper than the act. It's an issue of the heart and it's an issue of the mind. You see, my thoughts control my life, but I can control my thoughts. I'm not a slave to my thoughts. I'm not a slave to my thoughts. I, I, I have a thought, everyone, we would embarrass each other if we all stood up in here and had to, con, and had to say publicly what we think. We would, and, and cause, because if you, you and me, there's a lot of weird things that come into our minds have no clue where they came from. Maybe they came from my flesh. Maybe they came from the evil one. I have no clue. But we would be embarrassed. But we're not a slave to those thoughts. Weird things coming to my head doesn't mean I have to take that weird thing that just came into my head. Maybe it's from the evil one. Maybe it's from the flesh. I don't know where it was from. And I, I don't have to run with it. I, I don't have to entertain it. I don't have to fondle it. I don't have to coddle it. I don't have to fantasize about it. 
I'm not a slave to what pops into my head. I am not a slave to what pops into my head. And so that's why Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul wrote things like 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. God, I rebuke that thought. In the name of Jesus, I don't know where that came from. Father, that's a lie in the name of hell. I do not believe that. I don't know where that came from. That thought is not taking me closer to you. I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, if, if I don't, I just let my mind run with that thought. And all of a sudden, I'm way somewhere I never ever thought I would be because I did not take that thought captive. I'm trying to tell you it's all in your heads. I'm trying to tell you the Bible says that's all in your head. So we all have this battle that, that if you've been in the Christian life any time at all, you, you're aware of this battle that we have between the truth of God and the lies of Satan. It's a battle. And I think as we mature in Christ that that battle can get a little easier, but it never, ever goes away. It just changes. It just changes. And Satan has a lot more concern about you as a believer than he does about unbelievers. Because he wants to grab you and he wants to turn you around. He's already got the other folks. And so we have this battle in our minds on the way we think between the truth of God and Satan's lies. I'm not going to take the time to go there. But that's what Genesis 3 is all about. That's what the fall of man is all about. How did we get here in this position? Is because the enemy lied. And Adam and Eve believed it. And so the enemy goes, can't you just hear him saying this? Did God really say? It's a mind game. Go back and look at it in Genesis 3, 1 through 7. It's a mind game. And that mind game was the fall of man. That mind game is why we're in the predicament that we're in right now. All the evil one can do is lie. Is lie. Jesus said in John chapter 8, Verse 44, said the Pharisees, said this to super duper religious people. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we don't conform to the pattern of this world, we don't conform to the deception that the evil one has thrown out there. People are deceived. They're deceived into buying into the ways of the world. 
They're blinded, people say. Bible says they're blinded. So the battle that we have in our minds, the battle that goes on in our minds, what's the first and greatest weapon that we have to, for this battle that's in our heads is to be able to know the truth of God. Is to be able to know we have nothing to fight the lies of the devil. We have nothing to fight his deceptions, his lies, his temptations. We have nothing to fight them against unless it's the truth of God's word. And there's this battle going on in every one of our lives. But will you believe God or will you believe the lies of the devil? Will you believe God or will you believe the lies of the devil? It goes on and on every single day. And if I don't hide this away in my heart, if I don't make this a daily and a weekly and a monthly and a yearly habit of getting God's truth in my mind, I have no resources in my battle for my mind. I have none. I have none. So, how do we fight the battle? That all of us who are, who are serious about our Christian walk know that there is a battle. If you're here and you're not aware of the battle, it means you're not serious of your Christian walk. If you're serious about your Christian walk, you understand that there's a battle that the Apostle Paul talks about extensively in Romans 7. My flesh wants to do this, and the Spirit's pulling here, and the flesh, I know what's right, but I want to do this, and you know what it is. I know what it is. And the only way I can combat the pattern of this world is with the truth of God. And the truth of God is not easy to believe. The truth of God certainly isn't fashionable. You'll be called a fundamentalist. You'll be called a, a right-winger. You'll be called one of them religious nuts. But see, because you don't conform to the pattern of this world, those things don't bother you. Those things don't bother you. In fact, you expect it because the Bible says when you're persecuted and people revile and say all kinds of evil things against you, you should be thankful. You should be thankful. Matthew 5, 10, 11. But we don't want that. The, our flesh and living in the natural wants me to fit in and wants me to, the world to think I'm a good chap. Philippians chapter 4 gives us some little insight into this battle as I close. Paul writes, don't be anxious, that's a mind thing. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about these things. I'm trying to tell you it's all about your head. 
And verse 9 says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, first of all, if you're anxious, you pray. You pray. Lord, I don't know why that thought came into my mind. I don't know why I had that thought about that person. I don't want to ever have that thought against that person. Change my mind. I repent of that. Don't ever let me do that again. Don't ever let me think that again. Instead of just letting that thought run away and take you into places you never dreamed. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says to pray, depending on your translation, without ceasing. To pray continually. Now that's obviously not a literal thing. I went to sleep at 10 and got up at 6. I wasn't praying during that time. It's to have a running conversation with God. It's to be able to think of going to God about it before I think of going to me about it, of how to deal with a situation. I've, I've told you, how many times have you realized you've been dealing with a problem all day long and you haven't stopped to pray about it first? Continually have a running conversation with God. How do, you, how do you fight the battle in your mind? You have to do it with the truth of God's word and you have to do it through prayer. God, don't ever guard my hearts and mind, God. Verse 8, again, that I just read to you. Verse 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, think, think about these He says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, set your minds. Set. That's intentional. Well, I just can't help it. I just think that. No, you can. In the authority of God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, set your minds on things above. Focused intentional thinking it's an act of the will set it's 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 harder to do as a new christian it gets easier to do as you walk with the lord for a while but we all still battle it set set intentionally focus your thinking away from this and to this you know what that is that's repentance changing your mind our life of believers is a life of repentance. And then Apostle Paul says in 4.9, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, be sure you put it into practice. See, the Apostle Paul is not discounting behavior. Apostle Paul says, it's, 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 you just can't think about this without it showing up in your life. You can't set your mind, you can't think about whatever is right, you can't think about whatever is noble and pure, and just think about it, but not let it show up in your life. So whatever you've been thinking about in your heads, it's all in your mind, it has to show up in your life. Whatever you've learned, or received, or heard, or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace 
Why did he say the God of peace there? Could have said a lot of things, right? He chose the God of peace. How much conflict goes on in our heads, friends? Battle. And the God of peace will be with you. So Mark, what do you want us to do? I guess if I could boil it down, you just, you just can't fight the battle without a weapon. And the weapons are the truth of his word. Elsewhere, Paul wrote, our weapons aren't carnal. Our weapons are spiritual. Our weapons aren't carnal. We don't, we don't fight like the rest of the world fights. Carnal, that's the ways of the world, fleshly. We, we fight with truth. This battle that's in our heads, we fight it with truth. This battle that says, I can't ever get a boyfriend if, I don't, if I'm not promiscuous, if I don't give up something. Everybody does it. All right, I can't. I won't have any business if I don't, if I get too spiritual and too radical and take too many stands in the community. I won't have any business. It's a battle. It's a battle that I have no weapons to fight against. Unless I get this in my heads. Not just Sunday morning. This is food. Spiritual food. Well, as our servers are coming to the table, what we what we remember what we remember week after week as we receive the elements of the bread and receive the elements of the cup what we receive week after week of that is is truth as we take the bread and take the cup we're reminded of truth that Jesus is Lord and his, his words are food. He is the bread of life. We were reminded that, that as we repented, when we came to Christ, we, we changed our minds and our lives as a continual taking in of God's word and not conforming to the pattern of this wor- world. And we remember that this whole thing is lock, stock, and barrel around the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and not only on the cross but by his word and by inspiring this word on words that are outside of the gospels. (laughs) It's all in your head. It's all in my head. It's all in our heads. And we're going to spend several weeks fleshing that out and seeing what that really means. Father, as we observe the elements that you've told us to do, may we remember you. That's a mind activity. We remember that you're Lord. May we remember that we can't follow you unless we change our mind. 
that we can't follow you unless we let go of the patterns of this world that we can't be a Christian by trying to save ourselves and be good enough to forgive us my own sins but I have to trust in what you've done and your death on the cross and all that is such a mind game for us so Lord as we come to the table I pray that you would um, renew our minds and help us to be thinkers we don't have to be Einsteins we don't have to have an IQ of some great number we just have to come to this Christian life with our heads so help us now as we receive the elements of your table in Jesus name Amen